All right. When you say uh, at least 15 years ago, hey, can you name a really horrible, divisive group? You could probably say, uh, yeah, Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, yeah. But now we are all kind of, we're kind of turning into that. We see that everywhere now. We see people Mm -hmm. screaming these things at each other. America has become an online version in many cases of the Westboro Baptist Church, not necessarily screaming the same things, but being just as vile and mean and 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 awful. Well, Megan Phelps, uh, she's a writer and an activist and a former member of the Phelps family member of the Westboro Baptist Church, and she joins us now. She has a new book uh, called Unfollow. Welcome, Megan. How are you? I am wonderful. What about you? I'm I'm good. Good to have you on the program again. Uh, First of all, can I ask you, um, you kept the name Phelps. You're Megan Phelps Roper. And Phelps is one of those words, you know, like we say, your name is mud around here. That because that's that's because the guy who was helping John Wilkes Booth, his name was Mud. The doctor was Mud. Phelps is kind of one of those names. Why'd you keep it? I kept it because I wanted to reform it. You know, my, my name, Megan Phelps Roper, for a very long time, it meant, as my family would say, God hates fags, and I didn't want it to mean that anymore. Jeez. I wanted to. I wanted to change. I wanted to take it back. And. You know, I, my my husband recently, we've been talking about, you know, we want to start a nonprofit at some point, and he had the idea of calling it the Westboro Foundation, because I want, I want people, when they hear Westboro, to not think of people who celebrate tragedies and death, but people who are there when tragedies happen to, to help people who are suffering. I mean, in, in some ways, it's what Chip and Joanna did for Waco, Texas, but it was, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't personally them. Uh, and, and you have a, I mean, you, you were, you were there on the front lines. Tell me, tell the audience, I know who you were, but tell the audience who you were and how you changed. Uh, so Westboro Baptist Church was started by my grandfather and it's almost entirely my extended family. So my mother, um, was the de facto spokesperson for a very long time and, I was right there. I grew up right at her elbow. I'm her, you know, I'm the third of 11 children. I'm her oldest daughter. So, you know, she called me her right hand and I was right there in the middle of it. I was, I was a a hardcore believer, um, a zealous believer in everything that Westboro taught. And I defended them in the media. I I was the one who took our message to social media initially um, and, you know, helped with all of the logistical work, you know, orchestrating the protests um, so I, I was not, I was not, you know, as I put it, I said I was all in. That's how I felt. Mm. Um, and then the wait, 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 before you before you change before you talk about how you changed, um, was there ever any discussion like, hey guys, I don't think this is working. This approach is not working. Was there ever any discussion like that? <laughs> no, because for for Westboro, you know, they they do not use conversion numbers as a metric of their success. They don't believe that you know changing hearts and minds is in their power because they believe in predestination. So only God can change someone's heart. And so we we basically saw our you know we measured our success as the amount of publicity that we were getting because all we were trying to do was publish this message that we thought was the word of God. So and so from mm. that perspective, we were very successful. We were all I mean you know 
pop culture phenomenons, you know, True Blood, that, you know, really popular series on HBO, the opening credits included, you know, God Hates Fangs, you know, um, which is part of our, you know, just a, t- a play on our, our God Hates Gays um, message. But so it, it's, you know, for them, they just, that's, they weren't trying to change people's minds. And that's why um, they, they, to change the idea of changing tactics didn't even occur to them. And when people would insist that they should, that it was biblical for them to change tactics, for us to change tactics, um, we basically just dismissed them out of hand. So, Megan, when when you are away from this now and your eyes have been opened and you you know what you were part of and your family is a part of and you know, you know, what's what's true and what's not. How difficult is it for you to look at our society today and to see what people are doing online, on air, everything and and not just cry out, you fools, what are you doing? Well, I can't say you fools because I I was exactly where so many people are now. I know I know how seductive that that way of seeing things is. You know the the appeal of absolute certainty. You know the it, my grandfather used to say that it was there's something wonderfully liberating in the idea that in the notion the knowledge that you are 100% right. And he believed that he believed that we were 100% right um, with no possibility of error because we again we had the word of God. And and so when I see this you know, this, this spirit kind of the same spirit taking over, um, you know, the, the Westboroization of, of politics and American culture generally. Um, I know, I know why people are drawn to it and I understand the group dynamics that lead people to it, but I also know, you know, how incredibly destructive it is to see the world that way and how, how ineffective it is to try to, to change hearts and minds to, um, to to have come to you know collective to compromise how difficult that is to do when you have completely demonized anyone who doesn't agree with you on everything anyone who steps outside of the party line on any on any notion um, it's 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 not good it's um it's interesting because I I wrote in one of my books I think it was my last one where I said the only thing I am now certain of is that I am not certain of anything um, it is our certainty that is is dividing us. Um, and it, it's, it feels, it feels different than what you went through because you see and you claim what's happening over here is evil. And, and I know the difference between good and evil. And this is just, this movement is evil, but that's what you guys thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, if you are only looking at things from your perspective, you know, you're you're you are looking at 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 current events in light of your your own experiences. And if you cut yourself off from trying to understand why other people have come to different conclusions, if you just attribute it to, you know, this person is evil, they are ill-intentioned, you you are immediately cutting yourself off from really understanding that person and what has led them to those conclusions. Right, and it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you um, are going to change your point of view or uh, or uh, that you're not necessarily on the right track, but you don't understand that you are limiting um, yourself 
by not listening to how other people got there or viewed it because they are going to teach you something. Uh, and if you close yourself off to that, you end up alone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there, you know, there is this instinct that I think is very human. You know, when, when we encounter people that we believe are doing and believing destructive things, the instinct that we have is to isolate ourselves from them. You know, we don't want to endorse them. We don't want to have any part with what they're involved in. And again, I, I think that's very a very human response. Um, you know, you're trying to shame them into changing. The problem is that when the divide is as great as it is now in, in so many different spheres, you know, I was talking to an anthropologist last year, uh, and she she explained the feeling of shame as, you know, the feeling that we get when we know that we have violated the norms of our community. And so, you know, for me, Westboro was my community, and I didn't have any community outside of that. I felt completely alienated from the rest of the world. It was this very us-them mentality. And so when other people, outsiders, attempted to shame me, I, I felt pride. I was I, I was happy that they that they mm-hmm. thought I was wrong because I thought they were evil. So clearly, this it just reinforces your sense of righteousness. What's the difference between this and moral relativity? Uh, I, I think you're. I don't believe that you have to like have no opinions about things. Like I, I don't think that you you have to say, well, I can't. When you said um, certainty is the root of this, for me, I I, I totally agree this toxic sense of certainty in your own righteousness. It's not, it's not that you don't have opinions or that you don't have strong values and strong beliefs. It's that you hold them a bit more loosely because you understand that there is information and experiences outside of your own which are necessarily limited uh, that can and should change the way you see things. We have to be willing to listen because, not because we are are trying to, you know, say that okay, white supremacy is okay, or or whatever the whatever the specific issue is. Um, it's that what is that what 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 is in this that I can learn from, and how can we build a bridge from where they are to where where I am? So show us how uh, we need to change our behavior. You know, your book is called uh, Unfollow. Uh, and you're not necessarily saying uh, disengage from social media, um, you, you because uh, at least I don't think uh, no, because no. that's that's what that's what changed you was somebody using social media in the right way. So what's the right way to approach this or another right. way? Yeah. So I, I on. I gave a TED Talk a couple of years ago about this. This was, I think, the last time I was on. Um, that, that it was basically detailing these strategies that um, that people used with me. So the first was to don't assume bad intent because, again, you need to understand what is actually motivating this person. And I think very few people are actually deliberately trying to do things that they know are evil or wrong. Mm-hmm. They have be- somehow become convinced that this is the right way. And so you need to understand where they're coming from if you're going to actually reach them. Um, the second is to ask questions, partly, again, to help you understand where, the, where they are, where they're coming from, but also partly as a signal to them that they're being heard. And so, and, you know, there's, there's this reciprocal thing that happens where, you know, somebody, you ask them questions and they, they go through their whole position, they explain it all to you, and then they get to the end and there's this natural, you know, sense of reciprocation often where they want to know what you think, where are you mm-hmm. coming from, and how... And it's it- not asking questions... It's asking honest questions. It's asking yeah. questions of, I want to know, not questions that will get them to change their mind. Because I'm going to have a, I know the answer to this one. 
Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, And then the third is to stay calm, which is, you know, as you see in conversations on social media, on television, all over the place, it's really difficult, right? It seems like right now to be able to stay calm in these discussions because we, these are conversations about deeply held values and, and disagreements that we, we cannot fathom how somebody has come to a different place. And so if we can be very intentional and deliberate about keeping you know, keeping the, the hostility level as low as possible, trying to acknowledge, you know, that the other person is, is coming from a place of genuine disagreement and to be, be able to tolerate that. Like this is, you know, embodying the value of tolerance. Um, I think it's really important. So that's the third step. And then the fourth is to make your argument. Um, you know, and again, this is one of those things that sounds very obvious, but when we have these deeply held values, there is this, you know, this sense that anybody that is a decent person would have already come to the same conclusions that I have. And so we, we end up not actually articulating the defenses and the arguments mm-hmm. for our position. So we actually need to do that. Um, and then, you know, I think I mentioned this last time too, the fifth point that I would, that I would say um, that was not in my TED talk because I ran out of time, but it would be to, to be patient because people don't change these kinds of deeply held values overnight, like in a moment. Like even, even though I can look back in my own experience to how my mind changed over time, I can point to several moments where I absolutely became aware that there was a contradiction in what I believed. And what it caused me to do was kind of to shut down momentarily, right? And that's what happens to human beings as we, you know, this, this cognitive dissonance, like to finally come to the place where we understand, wow, maybe there is something wrong with my position. Maybe I need to reconsider this. And if you push that, you know, if you try to use that as a gotcha moment, that's people react very negatively to yeah. that. We, it, it pushes to push us. Exactly. Yeah. It pushes you deeper into your position. So, Megan, I think you're a re- re- remarkable, remarkable woman. Uh, and your message is so powerful and and right on the money and right for this time. Uh, I urge everybody in the audience to read this and share this with people. What she lays out is, look, what we're doing isn't working. We have to change tactics. And I think she has a remarkable message. The name of the book is Unfollow, Megan Phelps Roper. Unfollow. It's available wherever you buy books uh, currently. Thank you so much, Megan. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. All right. Uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to the program. David Malore is um, is a guy who you've never really heard of, um, most likely, but you know his work. And uh, I have a podcast with him uh, this weekend that I, I so strongly urge you to look into. We'll talk about it here in in just a second. So, Pat, looking at the list of the things that she just Uh, put down let's just look Mm -hmm. at this with impeachment Mm -hmm. why are people going after why is the dnc besides politics why is the dnc pushing this and why is this working with you know democrats uh i i think it's hatred i think they just absolutely hate donald trump i think if you phrase it the way she just did they assume bad intent Mm mm-hmm you just assume bad intent. And, and haven't no, they done that from the start with Trump? From, from the very start. From the very start. 
um, they're not listening to, well, what are the questions? Wait, what are, what are, we, what are we really talking about here? Mm-hmm. Let's listen and ask him questions on what are you doing? Or you can't really ask him, but see, like, for instance, the chalkboard and open your eyes to a different perspective. Stay calm. And yet make your stand and and make your argument. We're violating all of these as a society every single day. And when is it that the group of us are all going to wake up and go, "Mm, maybe we should try something different? You notice that, and I meant to ask her before she left, if if her family is still doing this, because you'd never hear about them anymore. Uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, because everybody's like the Westboro Baptist Church now. Right. Every time you see a protest, it's it's like those people. And so it's not even uncommon. They're not even, I don't think it, they even raise any interest in the media anymore because we see that every weekend, every everywhere. It's amazing. Especially, you're right. I wish I would have asked that question of her because especially if they are still active. Yeah. You don't ever uh, hear about uh, them. Never. <laughs> not for and years And I think you're now. right. It is, we've all it's become. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. all that in in one way or another. We're all calling each other horrible names, especially mm-hmm. in the virtual world. All right, back in a minute. Mm. I just saw the story about the uh, the mother, nearly three hundred pound mother, achieves her life changing weight loss after her son fat shames her. Uh, mm. She was. Um, uh, she, her, her son was three at the time. Said, "Mom, you're fat," <laughs> and he just. She decided, "I've got to stop. I've got to stop." And so she started working out, and now she's thin and beautiful. And oh. and uh, hopefully the Is authorities the son in jail. Though, I was going to say, hopefully the authorities have put that kid away <laughs> yes. for. Because if he, fat shaming, if he ever fat shames again, uh, uh, it's you can't have that. Yeah, you can't have it. Uh, fireside chat on live television. Trump says he wants to read the Ukraine call transcript to the American people. Now it's interesting because this is what I said after we did the uh, after we did the chalkboard about a month ago. I said, President should do a fireside chat. He should now. Mm-hmm. I also added, he needs to really be prepared for that and he needs to just take people through it and i think i also then said he's probably not the guy to do it because i don't know (laughs) if he's that disciplined but Mm -hmm. we'll we'll see is there uh was there a date attached to that he hasn't he just said he wants to do it uh sometime soon Uh, at some point i'm going to sit down perhaps as a fireside chat on live television Mm -hmm. and i'll read the transcript of the call because people have to hear it. When you read it, it's a straight call. It's a perfect call. <laughs> I love the perfect call thing. All right. Um, a Brooklyn straight. pimp named Sugar Bear. On tr- wow. Uh, hmm? Is that the Sugar Bear that saved my life tonight with Elton John? No. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. no. This is a different Sugar a different, Bear. A different Sugar Bear. Okay. This Sugar Bear is a Brooklyn pimp that's on trial for killing his prostitute girlfriend... Uh, but he said, I didn't kill her. I just chopped her up and put her head in my freezer. <laughs> For what reason? He didn't want to be blamed. 
Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, a, this yeah. is another sugar pair. <laughs> this is one that didn't save her life, but didn't kill her either. No. He didn't kill her. He just chopped Someone her up. Someone chopped up my, my life tonight. Sugar, sugar bear. bear. Well, okay, so if somebody finds your girlfriend's head in your freezer, they're certainly not going to suspect that you killed her, right? No. no they just no. think, you, well, why did you, you, but you chopped her up. You just wanted to stash her there. Uh, I wanted to keep her close. (laughs) I wanted to keep her close. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm in the freezer for ice cream a lot. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. It really makes sense. Um, So uh, uh, Julie Clark told the Brooklyn jury uh, he didn't want to go to jail. He didn't want to be blamed. He had no motive to kill his main moneymaker, but he did cut her body up. She then conceded, this is the attorney, she then conceded, look, he's not a nice man. He's not someone you want with your daughter, uh, but you don't have to like his lifestyle. That's that's very true. I don't want him dating my daughters. Uh, That's very, very true. Yeah. Police closed in on Moses after uh, finding the body parts at a uh, Bronx waste transfer station tracing them to his apartment where they alleged were found blood splatters uh, uh, and uh, and frozen appendages. They were found under a pile of frozen foods and meats in his uh, in his uh, in his freezer. He was charged with concealing the body parts for 10 days after the slaying. But again, he said, hey, I. I only chopped her up. I didn't kill her. Does he have any ideas on who did kill her? Uh, O.J. Simpson. Okay. Uh, O.J. Simpson. Uh, But O.J. swears he was on the golf course. Uh, This weekend, uh, something that the farmers always get blamed for. Not true. Uh, It was actually uh, to be more environmentally friendly and uh, not burn as much coal. Uh, It's daylight savings time this weekend. Finally. Finally. They pushed that back. Has it been what a month or six weeks? Um, I think it's, I think it's a month on both ends, right? Isn't that what they did? I don't. I'm not. I haven't. I'm not following the. You're not following the the, the, no, the saga the, of the, the daylight, daylight savings saving. time. And it's actually we're both saying it wrong. It's daylight saving, saving time. time. Yes. It's not. There's no S in savings. <clears throat> right. Right. Leave the S off for saving. for savings. Saving. Saving. <laughs> I hate daylight saving time. I want it to go away completely. I just want to be on standard time the whole year. I, I think it's time. Okay. No I, I, no, I disagree with you. I like it this one weekend. I hate it in the spring. Very much so. But I don't know why we don't just fall back in the spring and the summer. Just keep <laughs> falling back. An hour both times. Yeah, an yeah. hour both time. Just fall back yeah. an hour. Or if you, you know, you're like, well, then the days would be screwed up. Okay, then fall back a few, fall back 24 hours or 23 hours in the spring. Then we all win. We're always getting extra time that way. I'm not sure it works like that. Well, I don't know why but, it doesn't. Uh... We can make it. We can make it so. If 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 we can have health care for all, we can certainly fall back twenty three hours. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, let me take you here. Tomorrow 
I have a podcast that comes out every Saturday. We have a really fascinating podcast. This is one of my favorite stories. This is the story um, about a man who has had an incredible life. He grew up wanting to be a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And that's all he wanted to do. And he worked so hard his whole life. And he's he got a scholarship to go to college. He just graduates from high school. And he has a scholarship to go for uh, to go to school. And he's going to be on the baseball team. And he's a pitcher. And he's a good one. And he's walking in a parking lot one night. And he realizes, I've left my wallet in the car. And they were headed towards McDonald's. I've got to go back out in the parking lot and get my wallet. You stay here. I'll be right back. Listen to how he describes the day that changed his life. So you were on your way. You may not have been a pitcher but uh, for the Red Sox, but you were on your way to some sort of career in baseball, you thought. Yes, sir. You're 18. Yes, sir. What happens? Well, a uh, month after I got out of high school, we had uh, qualified for a state tournament. And my coach said, before you sign a uh, scholarship, and why don't you wait till we go to the state tournament? And if you do well, you're going to get more offers. I said, that sounds great. And so about 10 days before that tournament, I had gone to see a movie with one of my buddies. And we got out of the movie, and uh, it was a beautiful sunset. And, was, and there's a saying, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Mm-hmm. I'm really superstitious. And so I thought, that's a great sign of things to come. Hmm. And so we're driving. He says, how about if we stop and get a bite to eat? And so we saw a McDonald's, and so we pulled into the parking lot and parked on the side of the, the right side of the entrance across from the door. And we got out and started walking across the parking lot. And I realized I forgot my wallet. And so he says, hey, I'm going to go ahead and go in. And I went back to the car to get my wallet and uh, picked my wallet up and closed the door and started taking a few steps toward the door. And I heard a car come off the street quickly and, and stop suddenly. I looked up, and the two people in the car, the driver and the passenger, uh, had opened their doors and were changing positions uh, to the other person was going to drive. So I stopped and waited for them to get in. And when they got in and shut the doors, I motioned for them to go ahead and drive, drive through to get to the drive-through. And they motioned for me to start walking and go ahead and go. And so I started walking and. I heard them rev their engine and squeal their tires. And I had enough time to turn, and I lifted uh, my left leg and put both my hands up, and the car was speeding right at me, and I didn't have time to move anywhere else. And the car hit me, threw me 20 feet in the air, and I slammed into the door, the brick wall right where the corner of the door jutted out. And luckily, I landed right in the corner. I slammed into the brick wall, landed in a pile at the base of the the corner of the wall. And when I looked up, the car was coming at a higher rate of speed. And the car hit the metal handrail, sparks flew, and the car's metal uh, bumper pinned the handrail and the car's bumper against my knee, against the wall. And I... You know, the the engine is uh, revving and the car exhaust is, you know, I'm having a hard time breathing. And I can see the lady just staring at me 
over the steering wheel. And I'm screaming at her to please stop, please stop. He goes on. He has multiple surgeries. He has nightmares. Uh, he has PTSD, but this is before anybody was diagnosing PTSD. Um, and he gets married. He has all kinds of problems because he cannot sleep at night. He's Do we having, know why this happened to him? This was a woman who just freaked out and stepped on the gas instead of the brake all of a sudden and just was freaking what? out. Yeah, I know. Then years go by. He, he learns to walk again. Okay, he, he can't even walk. Wow. He goes through therapy. He has a doctor that screws it up and his leg just snaps after surgery. So he's got all these problems. He finally gets a job as a groundskeeper because he wants to, you know, he wants to play baseball, but he can't. So maybe I can just be a groundskeeper. So he goes up and he's working for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers and they're doing a whole, a whole new field for them. And uh, so they have everybody off and the doors, the gates to the field are open one Saturday as they're redoing this field. And this woman, another woman in a car, a different, woman. a different woman in a different city <laughs> years later, guns it, comes through the gate and starts doing, uh, you know, wheelies around the uh, around the diamond she's just going around the diamond he starts running for the fence line and he hears in the background he hears that she is coming again uh towards him now and he looks behind and here she is and she runs him down on purpose on purpose so she hasn't freaked out she's yeah just... no she is crazy this woman's crazy Okay. So that he's is unbelievable. He's hit again twice. Right. Oh it's crazy. Gosh, you don't know this guy by name, but you wow. know his work because he finally got a job at the Boston Red Sox. And he's the guy. He's the first guy to cut the pattern of like the flag or the logo in the grass. Wow. He's the first guy to do that. And his story mm. is amazing. Uh, it is it's an actual story that I, I purchased his life story probably 10 years ago. I wanted to play it and wanted to do a book and a movie on it. Could never get it done. And I felt so bad because it's such a great story. I just gave yeah. him the rights back. He's got a new book out. It's called One Base at a Time. Listen to this podcast. You've never heard anybody like David before. Such a good guy. Such a great, inspiring story. Mm. And one uh, story of a guy who just suffered in silence and nobody knew what he was going through. Don't miss it on tomorrow's Glenn Beck podcast. Yeah. We're just talking about... Uh, we're just talking about one base at a time, new book out of the groundskeeper of uh, Boston Red Sox. And uh, his story is just absolutely remarkable. Run over twice by freaky women? Yeah. Really weird. Yeah, really I mean, weird. Years and years yeah. apart in two different cities. Yeah. The coincidence in his life is just, 
It's remarkable. Were you really remarkable. nervous when you walked off the set with him that there was going to be a car that burst through the walls? And well, no, he was actually more or... concerned because Mr. Kool Aid <laughs> used to do that to me all the time. Oh wow! Yeah, he'd break, break, just really? break through my wall and then he'd body slam me. He's not that son of a bitch. Is he's not, not a nice guy. He's, he's not, not a nice, a nice guy. guy. I know a lot of people are a like, little oh, crazy. Mr. Kool Aid's here. No. Yeah. He's a psycho. Well, I mean, how many gigantic containers of Kool-Aid do you know that are smashed through people's walls right. when they could go right through the gate or right. door? If the guy would just use his power <laughs> for good as opposed to evil, you it, know, it could change the world. Imagine could've how, how world. popular Kool-Aid would be if he yeah. wasn't breaking into people's houses and pinning the children right? against the walls. So, <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about his car stuff. We kind of got focused on the... On Kool-Aid? On my Mr. Mr. Kool-Aid tragedy that I've carried around for years. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually a podcast that you will enjoy, uh, but if you know somebody that is suffering and thinks that they're alone, holy cow, listen to this life-changing podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, it comes out tomorrow. The Glenn Beck Program podcast tomorrow. iTunes and wherever else you get them.